have a copy of the scriptures, if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, um, happy Father's Day, if you're a dad, if you're a dad watching online, wouldn't be Father's Day unless I started with a dad joke, uh, <laughs> uh, this is good, so um, I can't even believe I wrote this down, I'm going to go ahead and say it, what detergent do mermaids use to wash their fins? Tide, anyways, all right. <laughs> We got that out of the way. Feel free to use that at the cookout today or tell your waitress at Denny's. All right, that's all. That's free. Um, for the dads and all guys in the room as well, as you leave today, we've got crumble cookies out there in the lobby um, for you, several different flavors. Uh, so we're, I guess we're promoting dad bod culture here at Living Hope this week and uh, just a, a little gift for you. Well, hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 11, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to read four verses. We're going to be all over the scriptures this morning. So Genesis 11, starting in verse 1, God's word says, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. And as people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray now as we, um, Lord, explore such an important question this morning in this Asking for a Friend teaching series, that your spirit would be with us. God, we pray for open ears to hear from the scriptures this morning, which you want us to hear. God, I pray for soft hearts, for myself included, because I don't just want to hear the word, Lord. I want it to do something in me. But God, we also pray for obedient hands and feet as we live as missionaries all across Columbus. So Jesus, again, we pray that your spirit would be with us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a few short months ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Arkansas on a church planting vision trip with several other pastors. One afternoon when we were there in Arkansas a few months back, um, we had some free time. And I learned in recent years, and maybe you have too, as we've had Arkansas mission teams visit the last few years, that the state of Arkansas is really known for one thing, and well, maybe two things. We'll give it two things. They're known for Walmart, first off. But the other thing that they're they're known for, I've learned this, is hiking up mountains. And you guys know how much I, I love hiking because there's nothing better than going out in the sweltering heat, climbing up really tall hills on rocky terrain, and sweating for about an hour and a half. I'm lying. That's the worst, by the way. (laughs) It's just as fun as it sounds. So um, I don't hike a lot. If you all know that, I don't run, I don't hike. But obviously, we went hiking with all these other pastors. I noticed something interesting. This is probably common when you go hiking. I don't know hiking culture. If you're a big hiker and I just offended you, I apologize. But I noticed that when we arrived at this mountain, we pulled into this parking lot. They had this main entrance. You went back probably about 100 yards. And then this this hiking path, it, it just started to veer off in several different directions. You could go around the side of the mountain. You could go straight up the front. Different kinds of terrain that made this up. You just You had your choice of how you were going to climb this mountain. Now, again, like I said, some were well manicured, some were rocky, all kinds of different terrain, but when you you got to the top of this mountain, so I'm told, I stopped halfway up and turned around, all right? But my friends told me, they said no matter what path you took up, you could take the rocky path, you could take the well manicured path, they had a path that went through the trees, you could take all of these different paths, but they said at the very end of it, everybody arrived at the pinnacle of this mountain, no matter what path you took. Today we're going to tackle this this question the best that we can. Why are there so many different religions in the world? 
I mean, there's tons of different religions in the world, and that experience in Arkansas reminded me of this photo that I've seen several years ago, several different versions of this photo. This is a pretty common belief for most people in the world because the idea that's communicated through this photo, this is, uh, I believe, known as religious pluralism is, is the term for it, is that no matter what religion that you follow, as long as you do it to the most sincere, best of your ability, all of us ultimately are going to make our way up to, to God. You can take whatever path you decide to, and ultimately we'll, we'll get to the top. You just follow your expression of religion. Just be sincere about it. We're going to operate under the assumption today that that is 100% false. Um, that's 100% a lie from the devil. It's not true. We believe at this church, based on the authority of the scriptures, this isn't my opinion, this is what the Bible teaches, in what's known as the exclusivity of Jesus, meaning that there's not multiple paths that ultimately lead to God, that there's one path to God, there's one avenue to God, there's one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. Jesus says that very thing in John 14, 6. We looked a few weeks ago. We believe that the Bible is true. That it's the authoritative, inspired, breathed out word of God for us to understand and know the God of the universe better. But Jesus says this very thing. He says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. The exclusivity of, of Jesus. He's the only path to God, the only way to God. All others are distortions of God's original plan. And so that photo is going to serve as kind of the foundation for us today. Why are there so many religions? Just for your knowledge, if you didn't know this, uh, if you're a trivia person, how many religions are there there globally? I didn't know this until this week. I knew there was five major world religions. If you didn't know those, it's Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. The vast majority of religious practicing people globally are going to fall into one of those five categories. Here's a fun fact, by the way. Outside of Judaism, in the last two years at our Finding Hope Center, we've had people from all other four major world religions come through our doors seeking help. That's pretty wild to think about that. What does that tell us? I was talking about this with some church planners a couple weeks ago. It means the ethnic and religious diversity of Columbus, Ohio, is rapidly changing before our eyes, if you didn't know that. The church has two options in response to that. Some people are going to run from it. We're going to continue to move out of the cities. We're going to get further and further away. Or we can run to it with the gospel of Jesus. Those are our two options, by the way. That was free. Take that with you. Anyways, five major world religions practiced globally. In addition to that, I didn't know this either. Think about this. Conservative estimates are five major world religions, 4,000 other diverse religions in the world right now. That's a staggering thing for us to think about. But why are there so many? Like, is there actually a reason as to why there's so many? There's so many avenues we could take this morning. I want to answer two questions for us today. Where did religion come from and why is Christianity different? Where did religion come from and why is Christianity different? Let's start with our first question. Where did religion come from? Why does religion even exist? Again, approaching this from a biblical worldview under the assumption and belief that we do that the Bible is true. Let me define religion for you. Religion is a system of belief that becomes the standard for one's worldview. That's too complicated. Let me make it simple. Religion is what I believe and then how I respond to it. Can make it even simpler than that. Religion is a response to what God reveals about himself. 
And religion for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe that religion finds its roots and foundations in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, you can turn back there in your Bible if you'd like to, God reveals himself to Adam. And that revelation of himself was to provoke action in the life of Adam and Eve. Here's who God is. Here's what he requires of his people. And now as mankind, religion is how we respond to God's revelation. Let me show you in the scriptures, Genesis 2. Starting in verse 15, God's word says, The Lord God took the man, placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. God revealed himself to humanity. Verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. This is what God requires. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's the first religion, base level, right there. God's revelation, what he requires of you and I. But we know, hopefully, based on Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Adam and Eve rejected what God said about himself. They rejected what God required of them, and they chose to believe what was not true. we show you another verse, Genesis 3, 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delightful to look at. That was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So what did she do? She took the fruit, ate it, gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Fast, or backtrack. Just two verses there in Genesis 3. We see that they formed this belief system, Adam and Eve did. God had revealed himself. But they had believed, based on a lie from Satan, that they could be just like God. They could be and know what God knows. As a result of that, they adopted a new belief system, a new worldview, based on what Satan said instead of what God said. They exchanged what could have been God-honoring religion for instead a false religion. How did they do that? Just think about this. They questioned first the validity of what God said. Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent, the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, we know later, by the way, that Adam would have been present in this. What did he say? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. You know, every other religion in the world, the way that they start is they question the truth of what God said. Satan is not very creative. What he started in Genesis, he just continues to repeat throughout human history. Then what did Adam and Eve do? They rejected the truth of what God said. No, you will not certainly die. What did God say? If you eat from it, you will die. What did Satan say? Eh, that's not really true. And they chose to believe a lie. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that humans then have continually exchanged the truth of what God said and what he requires of us for lies. Romans 1, starting in verse 21, for though they knew God, they didn't glorify him or show gratitude. Instead, what happens? Our thinking becomes work worthless, senseless hearts darkened. We claim to be wise and we're foolish. Do you know how many religions there are in the world right now that are just utterly based on lies and foolishness? things that logically don't even make sense. And what happens? Exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, reptiles, sex, all, I mean, come on, let's just keep adding to it. Everything out there, we're just starting cult after false religion, after cult, doing what? God revealed what he said. Humans go, I don't like that. So I'm going to start my own religion instead. I'm going to do what I want to do instead, instead of responding to what God actually says. Here's how it works. God creates, Satan 
always counterfeits. Every false religion in the world is a distortion of what God had already established. Now, going from Genesis chapter 3, again, the introduction of false religion within the first three chapters of the Bible, how does that multiply to these thousands of false religions globally? Fast forward in your Bible, if you'd like to, to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. This will give us context to religious diversity. Tower of Babel happens, if you remember the events of Noah's flood, you've probably heard that before. Think of Noah and the ark and the animals and global catastrophic flood. As Tim Hawkins always says, you shouldn't put this on the nursery wall of your baby's room, right? Millions of dead people everywhere. Anyways, that didn't make any sense contextually, so sorry. Catastrophic flood because mankind had sinned and rebelled against God, had fallen into perversion and false religion. And what happens? God destroys everything. He presses reset on humanity. Noah and his sons and their families, they exit the ark. They're commanded in in Genesis 9-1, repopulate the earth. Bible says in Genesis chapter 11, they're all existing in the same relative area. What happens? They plan to build a tower and a city. This is known as the Tower of Babel with one goal in mind. We need to build this building so it can reach the heavens. Why? Because we want to make a name for ourselves. And we don't want to scatter across the earth like God said. Here's a wild fact for you chronologically in the Bible. Noah, who built the ark, who followed God for that 120 years in the building of that boat, who saw and experienced the catastrophic flood of God literally wiping every human off the face of the earth. He saw it all. He exited that boat with him, his wife, his sons, and their wives would have been present at the Tower of Babel. That blows my mind. We don't know exactly how many people were at this Babel account, but they had a goal. Usurp God's authority, build a name for ourselves, not him, and don't scatter like he told us to. We're going to stay here and do our own thing. Again, the onset of false religion. God revealed himself and what he required. Mankind's response is religion. Noah would have been present. Blows my mind. I think to myself, wouldn't somebody had walked up to Noah and said, hey man, I uh, have an idea. We're thinking about building this city in this really tall tower to usurp God's authority and not uh, distribute across the earth like he said. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> and Noah must have just went along with it. Oh, how far the mighty fall so fast. It's a reminder for me that when we think we may not fall into sin, how quickly we actually can. Think about this. The Bible makes an interesting statement in Genesis 11, chapter 1. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. People now repopulating the earth after a global flood, one common language, one common vocabulary. Most Bible teachers would agree. It means they were united in their speech. They could communicate quickly, propagate plans swiftly. And then a migration happens in Genesis 11, 2, moving towards an area known as Shinar, building a city and a tower. They will reach the sky or the heavens, your Bible might say. Look at verse 4 again. Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top to the sky. I did a little research this week. We don't know how tall this tower would have actually been. Some books outside of the Bible report on this very thing, so we don't know how true this is. But some extra-biblical sources say this tower would have been 1.6 miles tall. It's pretty amazing. That's the distance from here to the entrance of the Columbus Zoo for context. Imagine building a tower and then standing it up. That's how tall it would have been. Other extra biblical sources, some archaeological evidence, places they believe could have been the Tower of Babel, believe that the Tower of Babel would have only been uh, seven to eight stories tall. That's about your house stacked on four times on itself. 
Those are kind of two very different heights, but either way, what was the purpose? It was a random thing to desire to do. Look at verse 4. Let's make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth. They don't want to make a name for God. They don't want to do what God says. Again, it's the exact same sin of Genesis chapter 3. Second to that, this is direct rebellion of what God commanded Noah's family in Genesis 9-1. Look at Genesis 9-1 on your screen. God blessed Noah, his sons, and said to them, right off they got the, after they got off the boat, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Scatter. And what does humanity do? The exact opposite. So what does God do? Dismantles their ability to communicate. He changes the language, confuses the language of all of these people. So the Bible says that they scattered, most likely into family groups, people that spoke the same language that they did. Ultimately, Genesis chapter 11, verse 8 says they abandoned the efforts to build the tower in the city. What's the result in regard to diversity of religion? Think about this. All of them would have had some idea about God. Something would have been passed down to them through the generations that came from Noah's family. But now that they're scattered out across the earth, what happens? They take part of the truth that they know, they mix it with their own worldview, own understanding, own ideas, and what is created ultimately? New veins of religion, distortions of truth, over time that multiply, evolve into false religions that we see today. You can see this throughout the Old Testament scriptures. Counterfeits of what God actually started. Here's what's important for us though. God always kept a remnant. God always kept a remnant. You fast forward one chapter, Genesis chapter 12, we see the onset of Abram, ultimately Abraham, the father of Israel. Genesis 14, Melchizedek, the priest of God. Genesis 21, Isaac. Genesis 25, Jacob. Genesis 27, Joseph, Moses in Exodus, Joshua, Ruth, David, Solomon, Ezra, Nehemiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. We could keep going. God always had a remnant to keep his religion going forward, a proper response to the God of the universe, who he is and what he requires. I know that was a lot and maybe a little bit complex, but it gives us some foundations as to why multiplying out is there's this diversity of religion. Now, why is Christianity different? It's how we approach truth and how we know God. I'm not an expert on these, but just base level stuff here. Track with me. What does Islam say? False religion. What does Islam tell us? That from a base level, much of what you do, your right standing with God is based on positive, good actions. You want to find favor with God? You want to find spiritual meaning? You have to do good things, and then God may be pleased with you. Take a religion like Buddhism. Buddhism, at its very base level, is, level is a quest for release from suffering. I do good deeds. I pursue peace. If I don't quite get it right, I reincarnate and I try again. Ultimately, I'm, I'm just trying to be released from suffering through the good things I do. New age religions, these are getting popular. Spiritual experiences as an res, avenue of finding purpose. What makes Christianity different? It's what we believe about life, purpose, and peace. It's, oh my goodness. Christianity is not based on anything we do, anything we experience. We are rooted in a person, and that's Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we can do to somehow make God happy. It's not about what we experience to chase spirituality. Christianity is rooted in the person of Jesus. 
Think about this, guys. We have the answer for every pursuit of every false religion at the same time. Religions that promote works as a means of pursuing God. We can answer that in Jesus. Because what did Jesus say? What, look at this, John 6, 28. What can we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus replies, this is the work of God. You believe in the one that he has sent. Our right standing with God isn't based on the works we do. That's a false religion. What do we do? We believe in the work that Jesus already did. Religions that promote release from suffering, pursuit of peace, that's answered in Jesus. Because for us, we don't seek release from suffering. We know that God has a purpose in suffering. It's an opportunity for us to lean on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, Jesus speaking, is perfected in weakness. Peace, the pursuit of peace as spiritual meaning, we know is not something you can achieve. Peace is a person and his name is Jesus. Ephesians 2.14, Jesus is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Religions that promote experience in search of purpose. People chasing down meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. That's answered in Jesus. John 10.10, a thief comes to seek, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came for what? That we may have life. Full, purposeful, meaning life is found in Jesus. That's what makes us different. That's what makes it true. Everything else is a distortion and a counterfeit of what God already established. Other religions are built on what we believe, experience, and do. Christianity is built on who we know, and that's Jesus I'm about to take my boot off and have a laugh. Somebody grab the flags out of the closet. My gracious. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. Paul writes, I am not ashamed. Paul, the one who would step into the epicenters of false religion. What does he say? I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed. Paul says it's not based on what I do, what I experience, how good I act. It's based on Jesus. And I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day that he comes again. What makes us different? It's Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every false religion. Let me close with this. I read it earlier this week. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ is a hard pill to swallow. It's really hard to fully understand for us to really think. You really think, Aaron, that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yeah, it's hard. I get it. There's a lot of questions that can be left unanswered in regard to that question. But think about this. It's from a Christian apologist. And he talks about how Jesus is the, the one and only solution that we need as humans. He says, most ailments need particular antidotes. Think of this. Increasing the air pressure in your tires will not fix worn out windshield wipers. Aspirin won't dissolve a tumor. Cutting up your credit cards won't wipe out the debt that you already owe. If your water pipes at your home are leaking, you call a plumber. You don't call an oncologist because a plumber can't cure cancer. Any adequate, adequate solution must solve the problem that needs to be solved. Singular problems require singular solutions. Some antidotes are one-of-a-kind cures because it's a one-of-a-kind ailment. Sometimes only one medicine will do the job you need. As much as we would like it to be otherwise, some things are just true. Mankind, we face a singular problem. P. 
People are broken. The world is broken. Our relationship with God is severed, ruined by human rebellion and sin. And humans are guilty, enslaved, lost, and dead. All of us, everyone, everywhere, past, present, and future. The guilt for sin must be punished. The debt for sin must be paid. The slave must be ransomed back. Promising better conduct, doing good things will not absolve the crimes of our past, our sin. No, instead, a rescuer must come and ransom the slaves. A substitute must pay the debt that we owe. Someone must shoulder the sin guilt in our place. There's no other way of escape. One antidote for a singular problem, and his name is Jesus. It's just true. Let me pray for us. God, we love you so much. Father, in the, what can be the complexity and the difficulty of such a subject as today, Father, I pray that you would allow your word to make its way from our heads to our hearts. God, may your word on the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as the way of salvation, may it not cause us to harden our hearts towards you. But Father, may it motivate us to action as followers of Jesus. If what we believe we say is true, and we know the one-of-a-kind solution for the one-of-a-kind problem that's known as sin, may it motivate us to be witnesses of Jesus in our world. Father, may you find us faithful in being gospel carriers to a lost and dying world. God, we love you so much. Lord, I pray now as we sing in response to your word that we would give you the praise and the glory and the worship that you and only you deserve as we join the angels in heaven in singing. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.